Good evening, heroes. And welcome to First Watch. I'm Kat Cool. And I'm James D'Amato. And... Hey, we made it through the introduction. Uh, yeah, we did. Uh, so... That was one take, baby. This is a particularly interesting first watch because, uh, first off, I haven't slept in a very long time. Uh, I did not sleep very well last night. I think I, I, might, I might be on like 32 hours without sleep. It might be more. It's around 32. Uh, and you have had, what, two hours? I've had like probably two and a half at most. Yeah, uh, of some pretty eventful days. And we are recording into both sides of an omnidirectional mic, or of um, well, uh, of the Yeti Pro. So yeah, this is the Yeti Pro, which has several different capture patterns, and the one that it's on now is the interview mode, which uh, has a capture out the front and the back. Yes. So, so what I've immediately noticed <laughs> <laughs> is that it makes us hunch into yes. the microphone. Uh, we're on either side of the mic, but we're like staring directly into each other's eyes. It's so weird. <laughs> it's weird and if you have a game that requires like intense one-on-one focus that you're trying to capture i think this mic's perfect for it but otherwise it's a very unsettling and i don't recommend this feature for interviews yeah we'll have to we'll have to ask the people from the table of one podcast table for one podcast uh what game best works when you are intensely hunching at your other player. <laughs> and the thing is that, like, you're not going to be able to see the other person's mouth. You're going to see a portion of their nose yeah, their and their eyes, eyes and, and eyebrows. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a, it's a really... I imp- feel like journalists... I don't know why I think of journalists in those terms. I mean, we can just avoid eye contact. That would make this better. Let's Bro, just it's one, not going to happen. <laughs> darn it. Darn it. <laughs> Captured. <laughs> um, so there's that. So that's our first observation in, in this first watch. Yep. Uh, I think we gotta we gotta hop into scry and buy. It's a good way to organize the bazillion thoughts that we have. Scry and buy, good call. Um, I think we don't need to talk about the Kickstarter as part of scry and buy. Yep. We can make that its own little section. Totally, totally. Um, so I got a scry. Yeah. So uh, one of the things that has happened within the past however many hours since I've been asleep is that I have for the first time listen to Hamilton the musical and I have by this point listened to it many many songs (laughs) just like scattered individual songs many songs over okay and then the full thing all the way through twice and then a portion of a third okay Uh uh-huh so that's that's a lot that's a lot you're deep in it right yeah that's the a lot was happening um basically the stuff that's happened in the time since I last since I woke up and and now uh, I've been voraciously editing Evil Campaign, which is so close to being up, and then uh, packing for this trip, and then going on this trip, hopping on this flight with you out to the things that I've done, uh, Hamilton, um, but that's not how I started the day. I started the day voraciously editing Evil Campaign, uh, and I've spent a bunch of chunks in between. Also, I packed and uh, went on this trip, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's it's actually pretty early in the day still. Yeah. Uh, we caught a, a flight very early this morning. That's, um, yeah. That's not it. So we're on East Coast time now. So it's 2.57. For us, it's actually just 1.57. Yes. So, so 2 p.m. When I woke up at like 7 a.m. the previous day. Ugh. So it's whatever that is. But so what I'm saying is 
I have done other things than listen to Hamilton. This hasn't just been Hamilton. This has been many spaced out interactions with Hamilton. The first complete listen through was while I was packing. And then I just had a long plane flight. I don't know what other type of flight I would have had. Yeah. That would have deserved that. Our helicopter flight. Anyway, Hamilton's great. I knew it would be. I've known that since November. I knew this would appeal to me. Here's one of the reasons. Uh, When I was in fifth grade, my history teacher focused specifically on Alexander Hamilton and this. Like, this musical. Now, having listened to it, I was like, I wonder if it's just going to be like that year of, of school. Right. And it was. It was just an intensive of like, because uh, he's a dude who wrote all the time. And uh, as many of his peers did, all the founding fathers wrote a bunch. Yeah. And uh, we have, we can piece together a bunch of whatever. They were the podcasters of their day. With their stupid pamphlets. Yeah. 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 I don't want to think of podcasting as pamphlet making. I mean, but it's so close especially with the sort of personal connection that people get to historical yeah. characters well, like yeah that. i mean it's more than a blog post and maybe podcasting whatever i don't want to i don't i don't want to think about this are you sure yeah no it makes me super uncomfortable to think that the thing that we're doing has value beyond the art of storytelling i know it I'm just, okay i I'm, mean but the thing i mean sure the we thing that we're want. doing yeah. does not it's just oh, people do, totally. You can people use should this. feel encouraged to start a podcast that is the founding fathers you're talking right, to right, and right. arguing with each other. Yes, and I I want that. And if that's out there already, please tell me about it. Yeah, no, that sounds I will wonderful. To that show. Uh, so that's what you were talking about. Yes. I was just like, uh, whatever documentation, historical documentation of stuff is weird, mm-hmm. especially because of the different perspectives that are limited by the information that we have, which is one of the many themes that this musical addresses. Mm. Um, it's it's great. I, I like, I have the, as a person, I am not someone who would say, I don't like musicals, even though there are very few musicals that I really love. I have the capacity to desperately love a musical, and now this is one of them. I, I feel like for most musicals, I feel real cred checked on it, like, I am clearly not a musical fan. Sure. Like I have met people who are fans of yeah, musicals yeah, yeah, yeah. and like but I but I enjoy it. I enjoy it as yeah. an art form. Like the it's producers a great art form. the producers is brilliant. Mm-hmm. It's completely brilliant. And I will I will fight anybody who say who says that the producer's movie is, is better than the musical. The musical is like perfect art for that story and it, it it's such an interesting genre. And I loved seeing that live. That was a phenomenal viewing experience as a kid. Like real cool stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um and and Hamilton Hamilton is ruling the musical world I right can't now. wait to see it live. It's for many reasons. I don't want to talk about it too much cuz I feel like some people still haven't seen it. But if if you're like, "Hey, you've probably already seen it if you were going listen to it. If you were going to unless um, unless you're me. No, no, unless no. You're so the like the person across the table. <laughs> unless no, I, the, but you're one of many who are waiting to watch it yeah. instead of just listen to it because they're because that is probably a superior format in for which to take this plane. Like I'm not going to read it. I don't want to read it before I see it. I'd like to see it. And I for for me, especially with musicals, like I, I think a lot of our fans know by this point, I don't really connect with music, with music that much. Yeah. So the visual spectacle of a lot of these musicals is a big part of it. 
And I don't know if Hamilton is big on this, obviously, because I haven't seen it. But like non-musical interludes do a lot to Mm. connect the story for me and like bring it together. Well, I think also, I mean, the trend of uh, modern musicals for me that I've seen because like I didn't see Book of Mormon um, or any of the most recent really Mm -hmm. big ones um, was like lyrical splendor and people were starting to sound samey to be a jerk like the that's the the main criticism that i heard of stuff um but this focuses on hip-hop and rap yeah it's and, sounding very different and all of the lyrics are so good and varied you know that it's like there's a lot of picking on themes and pulling stuff back in which is brilliantly done but i think that like Potentially for you, you have a chance to really connect with the music because it is so lyrically so driven. lyrically yeah. driven. I mean, I, I I will say that uh, the modern musical scene I think is full of homage and reference and and what you're talking about. Like there are a bunch of people because people who go into musical theater are people who love musical theater. And there's a ton of that in this. Yeah, you want to celebrate uh, those moments and those people that inspired you, and I think. Sometimes that happens in different art forms to the detriment of the art form. But I'm glad to see that we have something like Hamilton, which everybody is like stepping back and recognizing, oh, we can still innovate this thing that's been around for decades. There's so much about it. Like, as I knew I was going to love it, the reason I haven't that I haven't listened to it yet was because I, I knew I was going to love it and I don't have a lot of time to get invested in things. Uh, yeah, when you love things, you love them hard. I love them hard. And like the only reason that I allowed myself this was because I'm like, well, I'm going to be packing and then I have a, a flight and I know how tired I get on flights. I'm not going to be able to work the entire time. I have a chance to do something for two hours and that's the amount of time. Um, uh I also uh, had some concerns that there are certain elements of this history that I knew fairly well because, because of this stupid class uh, and my, my fanboy teacher. Um, and uh, they handled them with nuance that, like, in retrospect, I should have given them the credit to do. Um, but I, it was still, like, a very pleasant surprise. I'm in love with this musical, and when we stop doing this podcast right now, I'm going to listen to it again and cry myself to sleep. <laughs> Man, well, I'm glad that you've enjoyed it so much that that obviously, you know, makes me more excited to see it. I also know that I'm not going to be able to see it in New York anytime soon. Oh, no one is ever going to be able to see yeah. it in New York. Yep. Other cool parts of this experience for me have been talking to my foreign friends about it because they don't learn American history in the way that we do. Surpri- surprising, I know. No, why not? Yeah. Why uh, is that? Because um, America is just another country and they typically focus on their own countries and, and typically also world politics in a way that we we don't. Well, American politics is world politics because I hate this. We're the most important. Yeah, so people don't get the context of your your dumb face making the stupid expressions that it's making right yeah. now. What stupid expression, cat? I'm merely talking about how America. So I've gotten to greatest. explain things like Sam Adams beer and the little internal references. Yeah, which has been really really fun. Um, 
And um, let's see, what else? Oh, and uh, also, people have been matching up characters in Star Wars to characters in Hamilton, and that's been fun for me. I know people are doing it with campaign characters actually less interesting to me than characters in Star Wars. Okay, vice versa for me. Okay. <laughs> um, characters in Star Wars for me, very interesting because that's a thing with the revolution currently happening. And you have figures like Champ Syndulla, who's a French fighting man who maps very well over to Lafayette. Okay, but who Who's and Lobot? <sighs> James, you don't want me. Is Lobot not in <laughs> Hamilton? <laughs> okay, uh, my interest in Hamilton went way down now that they don't have a Lobot equivalent. Oh my god. Well, I mean, if we're going to. They do discuss issues of slavery within Hamilton. Okay, so, I guess Lobot's sort of a slave. Well, the way that he's almost a droid at that point. Yeah. That's he's not. Um, he he voluntarily man. gave that up to be useful to Lando Calrissian. It's a, Lobot's fascinating. Lobot's deeply tragic. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so like directly in Hamilton, no. But there's space for Lobot. <laughs> okay. Hamilton's for all of us. <laughs> uh, it's really cool. So that's I think enough for me on Scry right now because I've been talking for a while. What yeah. about you? What's your scry situation? So uh, obviously, because we've been driven by uh, events that we'll talk about later, uh, I have not had a lot of free time recently. And my free moments are generally speaking when I am in transit because I like I go to work and during my day job, I am either on the phone, you know, dealing with customers or I am doing one shot stuff yep. in between calls Um <laughs> And then I get home and like I have to eat and I grab a couple hours to hang out with my girlfriend. But most of the time I'm also working. Yeah. Uh, so the time that I really get to, to have free time is like any time when I am in transit or I am walking my dog. And I have gotten into two podcasts because of a listener recommendation. Mm -hmm. They are the Black Tapes and Tannis podcast. Black Tapes and Tannis are part of this podcasting uh, network called uh, Pacific Northwest Stories. And Pacific Northwest Stories is spooky NPR. Ooh. Uh, it's the coolest. That is cool. Just... Like not not weird NPR in the way that like weird Twitter is celebrated, just like a little spooky. It's uh they they are fictionalized radio plays, okay. uh, but done in the style of NPR reports. Cool. You you didn't listen. You haven't had a chance to listen to Serial. Um, no. So the first podcast that they did is called uh, Black Tapes Podcast. And it is very directly referencing and pulling on a lot of the techniques that they use in Serial to spin a narrative. Sure. Obviously, in Serial, they're, they're like uh, moving off of like how they unfold this story to you. And as a fictional endeavor, Black Tapes plays with that a lot and uh, tries to break down sort of how an investigation uh, from a journalist gets presented to an audience. Mm -hmm. um, and essentially it is following this journalist who was going to do a very NPR type series where she was going to interview people with interesting uh, professions around the Pacific Northwest. Right. Um, and their first episode that they decided they wanted to do was ghost hunters and people in the paranormal community. And this figure kept popping up, Dr. Strand, who Ooh. is a 
paranormal investigator who is a skeptic. And he does what he does to debunk things because, you know, obviously a lot of uh, people in the paranormal community are like less than less than honorable about the way they do things. And, and he doesn't like people being deceived in that way. Um, and he has a litany of solved cases that he stores like with their evidence in their totality in these white VHS uh, boxes. Ooh. And then like when she finally gets into a room with him, she notices these black boxes. Yes! And those are the <laughs> cases that Strand has not yet been able to solve. Cool. Um, and so the, the rest of the podcast is addressing like some episodes tape by tape. Yeah. Uh, interesting cases from his past. And it like, it touches on everything for me. Uh, like every little horror element and every actual paranormal element that I really like uh, in life gets investigated through the black tapes. Like they have an episode with like a sleepy hollow type town folklore about like a girl who cut off someone's face and then put it on her face upside down. Sure. Like, and they string that together with ghosts and demonic possession and uh, real Lovecraftian themes uh, to spin together like this kind of spooky conspiracy narrative that's throughout everything. And like, it's not clear whether Strand is being upfront. Like we're always finding out new minor details about his past and his story that sure. he wasn't upfront with Alex about. And like, there's always kind of a reasonable reason why he wasn't upfront. But like, Strand is sort of a hero for this show. But like, we definitely don't know everything that's going so on. So all that you're telling me is that this is grown up Gravity Falls specifically. It. It is very close. I mean, there is no real close brother and sister relationship. Although, sure. now that I'm thinking of it, uh, <laughs> Alex and her producer have a really great friendship on the program. And I have to say, uh, the host of the show is Alex Regan. And I don't know if that is the actress's name or just the, the character's, character's name. name uh, but the actress is phenomenal. Cool. Like, she has the perfect young NPR voice. And the way that she conducts these interviews, everything is so natural from her. Like the first couple episodes, the voice acting wasn't on point with everybody else. But Alex is good from jump. And because she's driving the entire show, it just makes it so much more compelling. Very cool. Um, but she has this great relationship with her producer. And I bring him up because there is another podcast that this collective has started called the Tannis Podcast. Okay. And after I tore through the black tapes, I started up Tannis. Tannis is along the same spooky line, but it is more a conspiracy noir program uh, with supernatural elements. Uh it's about this reporter is just really interested in this thing that they completely developed out of the show called the myth of Tannis. Like, mm -hmm. I was hoping that it was like a thing that is out there and like an existent myth. It is not. It's something that they put together. I prefer it when things are like that, kind of. Yeah. I, I mean, it does mean that like they can, it, it, it limits their ability to draw on real history for things. I don't know. They can still draw on real history, but weird it. You know? Right, right, right. They, and, and, and they do. And that's exactly how they use it. But it does tie into sort of like if you know about things like the Oregon, the Oregon Vortex mm -hmm, and like mm -hmm. that weird bit of Americana stuff, uh, 
it ties so deeply into that. Do um, they? I love specifically cryptids. Do they get real into cryptids? Uh, cryptids is more of a thing that would show up on the black tapes. Sure, sure. Um, uh, but tennis is a lot more Lovecraftian. Okay. Tennis is about a place that sort of moves every 300 years or so. And there's a lot of like weird uh, mind bendy stuff that happens around it. And a lot of shadowy governmental, like high powered people are behind uh, interactions with it and whatnot. It's, I, I would say Tannis is very akin to like fairy realms and something like that. It's like an extra dimensional interaction with our world. Right. Um, and in the universe of Tannis, people have worked very, very hard to cover it up. Right. And it's just this sort of reporter uh, starting from a short story and investigating that and getting deeper and deeper and having people left and right tell him, you need to stop. Right. You need to stop pushing. And he's like, I can't stop pushing. Mm -hmm. And the best part is it, it takes that reporter's uh, trope that you love, but it, he is not obsessed with the truth. He is obsessed with mystery. Ooh. Um, Ooh. Oh, no. Yeah. He's like, what a villain. He's, no, no, no. He's like, this is the world's last mystery. Like, well, but so he's obsessed with solving the mystery or he's obsessed with exploring the mystery. Um, so it's, there are a lot of indefinite answers for Tannis, uh, which is cool. Like the season finale ends with him very closely interacting with it. Okay. And then we come back into season two and he can't remember a lot of that. Sure. So his thing <clears throat> isn't knowledge acquisition so much as experiencing and being present with it's Liz. chasing it okay. he, like he, he yeah he, it's about it's about i still the, maintain villain because i think that knowledge needs to be the key to that and when it's not there are lots of dangers but hey i'm not this guy and yeah. i'm probably a villain in most media <laughs> but th th like i love him because he sounds like a real reporter yeah which is the biggest nerd. He is the biggest nerd who is not good at interacting with people. Like there are so many times where I'm listening to Tannis and he's like conducting an interview and I'm saying out loud while listening, how are you letting them talk to you like that? Right. Like, why did you let them avoid that? He'll just be like so sheepish and oh, be like, no. okay. Ugh. And, there is this person helping him investigate a hacker whose name is Meerkatnip. Like, that's her handle. Yeah. And she is, like, the most tsundere. And, like, there's not... I don't, like, I definitely ship them, but I don't know if there's any real relationship <laughs> interaction between them. But <laughs> it's so good. Oh, my God. It's so good. And she's so short with him and, like, dismissive and... It's the best. Uh -huh. And like th these podcasts are really tied together because they're both sort of Alex and oh God, I can't remember the Yeah, but host they're, of they're working together. They're, so. they're working together and they're, they're like emotionally supporting each other cool. as they get drawn deeper into like these really dark and uh, rattling investigations that they're doing. That sounds like a really cool fiction podcast. It is. I highly recommend it to everybody. Yeah. Um, I know Johnny O'Mara is going to get into it. Uh, 
I would love to rope Cat into it, but I know you don't have enough time. Yeah, that sounds like something I would love. That's like um, I recommended. So my my husband recently went through Olive Campaign, which is very nerve wracking. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, it was an interesting way to experience it analytically through his eyes, because I feel like most people that I talk to about the show, like they're either too close to different to it's either about them because they're one of the people involved or they i don't know he just has a he's in a good place to have any analytical approach to it and be able to point out things to me that i wasn't seeing Mm -hmm. so it's cool to have that in him you know that is neat yeah it's it's nice um it's it's a nice thing that i didn't know i didn't have you know right um anyway but he got through that and uh we release one episode a week kind of and <laughs> um he uh he was like what do i listen to now so i'm like well here are some other actual plays and blah 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 and he he tried one or two and i'm like i i can't vouch for the quality of things beyond these these episodes of like she's a super geek and blah blah, blah uh, right. that i've listened to right know? um Oh Again. God! If John if John gets into these podcasts, we will have so much to talk about. I don't know that he'll like it. Well, so yeah, so like um, so then I also told him like there's also these ones like um, Critical Role and stuff that I know that people like, but I've never really, yeah. I've never listened to them at all. And he tried. And also God's Fall. I will shout shout out to God's Fall there, too. There are so many podcasts. Well, I, I know God's Fall is a highly edited sure, one, sure, sort sure, of sure. like Critical Role and um, the others. So uh, just threw them out there for him, and he like started to li- to try to listen to one, and he he's like nothing against them because it's not a uh, I know I'd have to listen to multiple episodes to really get into things just like a TV show, but my focus isn't actual play. The reason I was able to do this actual play is because I know you guys as performers, so mm-hmm. I so like I knew what I could look forward to expecting. Um, what else you got? And I was like, well, I have wanted to listen to lore and have not had time. So he has been listening to lore, which is um, like pick a pick a folklore topic. Uh, a, no, but just like so. So like right a Kelpie. No, right, okay. Just like or or even a specific story of a Kelpie. And this mm-hmm. guy like. As far as I understand it, explains it. Explains it, but in a semi, like a partial, partially, it, it's fiction, and then it's also explanatory. And they're just oh. like f- fifteen to thirty minute episodes. They're, oh, that's they're, nice. They're really succinct um, <clears throat> and very well done. And he is tearing through them, and it's been really cool because I've been like, he's like, I want to talk about kelpies. I'm like, yeah, I am here to talk about Rad. kelpies because Rad. that is, I don't know if I talk about this enough that folklore is like. If I could just do stuff, man, would I just research folklore? Right, right. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah, so that's been cool. Uh, that's a, It's just in in the realm of like, if you want to listen to slightly spooky stuff, because lore's slightly spooky. Um, I, well, I'll definitely, I, I finished uh, Tannis and Black Tapes, and I might start on Limetown. Well, you can. I've heard that is good. You can have more common ground these days than me with my husband if you start listening to lore. Great. Well, let's move on to our buys. Our and buys. These might be quicker snippets because we spent 30 minutes oh, on our scries. Oh, um, <clears throat> I purchased Hamilton, the musical. And. <laughs> That's been. I don't know that this counts. <laughs> um, Delray gave us bloodlines early because mm. of Never Tell Me the Pods, um, 
And on top of that, I also, because Bloodlines just came out, got the audiobook. So, people at home, uh, that vouches for the quality of Bloodlines. And, and the quality making. of Never Tell Me the Pods. <laughs> um, well, just enough that I'd, having been given the book for free, would go out and purchase it as well. Right. Um, and also, just the, I like the way that Star Wars has been handling their audio dramas recently. Or their... They're audio books. Um, uh, we'll get into bloodlines on Never Tell Me the Pods. So yeah. that's the, how I can cut that short. Okay. Um, my buy is really quick. It is uh, a game that was on the PlayStation uh, store called Dead Star. And it is a spaceship game that's like a spaceship multiplayer game. And it's one of those spaceship games where you use both control sticks, uh, one to steer the ship and the other to shoot in the direction. So it's a very similar uh, setup to Geometry Wars in that respect. But uh, you can customize your ship with a bunch of different weapons. And there are three classes of ship. There is the little guy ships, the medium ships, and the big ships. Uh, And you go into every uh, session with a loadout of three and there's like tactical combat, like some ships need to be mining to support the bases. Sure. Other ships need to be on the front lines. This is the DS game? No, it's not not for DS. No, no, no. I thought it was called DS. uh, Dead Star. Yeah. Dead Star. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, it's I've been really enjoying it. like, I don't play a lot of multiplayer games because they take up a lot of time. But Dead Star is something like you get in, you get out. Like Splatoon. It is a lot like Splatoon in that respect. So if you're looking for, like, that fun competitive experience, uh, get Dead Star. I'd say definitely turn off communications uh, oh, because yeah. every single person that I've encountered is obnoxious and awful. Uh, but it has been fun to play. Cool. I have one more buy. Ooh. Um. Uh. Noirlandia is currently kickstarting. Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh. Made by our friend Hannah. And who made it with Hannah? Yes. Yeah. Evan. Evan Roland. Brian Van Syke. Hannah Schaefer. And a whole bunch of cool people. The name might sound like portmanteau of noir and Questlandia because they are. Because that's what it is. What? Yeah. But it's like really. It's it's focused on a sort of. Noir, they're noir building noir worlds and then then going playing around a mystery and, yeah. together, and it's uh, I'm really excited to do it. I I, I I'm really excited to play this game. It's and, it seems like a real winner. I wish we had time for it in our production schedule. Yeah, like, me I was, too. Ugh. But a lot of people kickstart at the same time. Yeah, and that's true. There's not a lot that can be done about that. Yeah. Um. But if you're the sort of person who likes noir things and kind of spooky things and m- any of the podcasts we are talking about sounded interesting too, Noirlandium might be a game that's right up your alley. It's certainly right up mine. Uh, we bought it for the network and I bought it for me. So yep. that I highly recommend checking it out. It is kickstarting currently. Yep. And the, the PDF is just $10 too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, with that, uh, let's move on to the knowledge. Is it profession games? Uh, knowledge <laughs> performance. Knowledge performance. So I have recently gotten into the musical Hamilton. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this can't be every section, Kat. <laughs> it's going to be. Now, what do you want to talk about? Uh, no, I think we should talk about. I don't think stuff. we should do any bits on this podcast. I want to make that clear okay, right now. Okay, no more bits. No, no bits. Okay, no bits. No going one forward. should have done any bits at any point. I don't think there were any bits, and people can go back and listen again. 
If you find any bits, flag them. Yeah. And if you do find them, once you've flagged them, send a picture of a dog riding a motorcycle to yeah. at campaign pod. Yes, definitely. Um, ideally, CC everyone also involved because I don't think they check at campaign pod. Yeah. So just do that. So just add a whole bunch of names to your message to us. And even if they're unrelated to us, but related to the campaign also, fandom. Also, if you notice that I, Cat. Uh, did a bit, feel free to like give me back pets and kudos for that because I don't do them that often, but they're great yeah, and I'm capable her, of reward them. Reward her with a gif of some kind. Uh, yes, or a gif, whatever is your preference. Nope. I don't care. Nope, but I do care and I've, vo- I've voiced my preference. Yes, I know that you've voiced your preference and my, my, my strong preference is for both being okay. Disagree. <laughs> <laughs> so let's move on to profession publishing. Uh, So as Kat and I alluded to earlier, the Noisy Person Kickstarter is ongoing currently as Kat and I are recording this. It's what, day 16, 17, or 18? I believe 17. Um, Let's see. You know, we're we're just over the halfway marker for our campaign now. Uh, At the time that we're recording, we are 96% funded or maybe even 97 like we're really close so we are thirty thousand eight hundred plus right now are we 800 did that happen when i wasn't paying attention i believe so okay cool great <laughs> love it big fan of that uh yeah so like we are tantalizingly close to having our project be funded um less than a thousand two hundred dollars away from hitting this thing so, like, one one thing that I, I – in this, I really don't want to discuss, like, technique of our Kickstarter sure. that much because one of the levels that is yet to be unlocked, if we get a 1,000 backers – Is that we'll be doing that, yeah. Is that so, we will be so doing a podcast do you about that. I sort of want to check in, like, about uh, areas that we've been feeling stress and how it's affected us uh, emotionally sure. and that sort of thing because I know a lot of our listeners are either – Game professionals who do run Kickstarters and have run Kickstarters or people who are considering running Kickstarters. Um, and I think a lot of the advice that we got beforehand, like people mentioned that it's tough, but they mentioned that it's tough in sort in of abstract. a nebulous abstract. Sure. And I feel like to be supportive, we should uh, talk about that. Here are some specifics. Uh, some people are going to cancel their pledges. Apparently. This is normal. It seems very scary when it happens, though. And then I talked to someone who ran a Kickstarter, and they they made it seem like it happened very infrequently. And I wouldn't say that it's, like, super frequent for us because we de- definitely have way more people yeah, coming we, on to we, the— We've been yeah. trending up. Um, but uh, it's not—it doesn't happen infrequently at all. It, it happens. And it's—sometimes um, those people come back. Sometimes they don't. Um, sometimes it's people like shifting around payment, but, but sometimes it's people just going, ah, I backed for $10 and I'm not into it anymore. I found something else that I want to spend that money on. Um, this is going to probably happen to you. And, uh, everyone has assured me that it's normal and Hey, we're continuing to trend upwards. Like it's not a, it's not terrifying in the, um, in the whole, I just wish I'd known about it earlier because it, it was very hurtful at first. Okay, so this is uh, something that I I think is interesting because, like, I had some experience about that because I monitor the Patreon a lot closer than I think you do. Um, And Patreon actually does something that I wish Kickstarter did, which is exit surveys. Yes. Uh, So, like, when people go out, they, like, 
say why um they have a little checklist they can pick from or so they can i think write that's their own. part of the reason because like with patreon they're like I've, I've checked some of the exit surveys and it's mostly things like i can see when people are like hey uh i need to switch around cards and i don't know how to do this like cause there's some amount of that or or my financial situation changed yes. totally uh oh and it's always like it's heartbreaking it's to heartbreaking to see because there's always like an apology and i'm like guys you do you not need, need to, to apologize for taking care oh of yourself. my god um wow but then sometimes there's things like uh this wasn't what i wanted and that's like that's cool yeah that and that's like a certain amount of that is us going yep need to be better and a certain amount of that is like well now we know what we're trying to present more you know yeah all of its valuable information and like if you've got if you go to any of our kickstarter uh panels that we're running at conventions like we learned a lot from that and it's sort of controlling the perception of how and when things are released like we would have structured oh, our, our patreon yeah panels, we would have rather you yeah, said kickstarter i did say kickstarter patreon uh we would have structured our patreon differently and like we're learning approach things like that differently um so yeah that like that is an important thing kickstarter does not provide that no information. and that's what's killing me because each person that leaves instead of me being like because like i know i've gotten on kickstarters and my financial situation has changed and i've had to leave them you know like uh having that versus having like Somehow you guys disappointed me within this space because it's our first one. I don't know how we could be letting people down. Like we're giving updates. They're not super frequent. They're not infrequent. You know, we're fairly engaged. We're trying to like for the size of our thing. It doesn't feel like we're messing up. And I wanted to know what ways we were messing up for people who left because we messed up. You know? Yeah. And I, for the most part, have been dead to those cancellations. Good. Like I, I don't, I don't care about them because because the can- they don't affect the overall. Primarily, the cancellations are only an emotional impact. They're not significantly impacting the Kickstarter and its viability and chances for survival and success. Yeah. So I, I don't care about them in that way and because we don't know why people are leaving right exactly like if there was a mass exodus after we did something like then i would respond to it no the only thing with me is like the because it's not like people don't like my game shucks it's it's like what aren't we doing why don't i have access to this knowledge right right so that's the sort of stress that i've been feeling and it's and it's not just there it's like overall with the process it it feels like i feel like i'm not getting enough information from kickstarter oh yeah kickstarter and the information that they uh have presented to us i think is woefully inadequate yeah and like i've fallen back on other tools like i am a frequent visitor of the kick Kick track page for us and kick track is not necessarily very good um, it does provide some a good, rough estimate. It, it provides some good analysis. The pages that I like on KickTrack are daily data, which tells you how many people and how much money you've made day to day. That that's just useful to like look at. Like, hey, when did you have a good day? When did you have a bad day? Um, because I have because we've been doing so much promotion for this, and I have been like purchasing ads and scheduling interviews, and so much has happened for it. I can't really tell 
what's working? Yeah, that's something that you you told me that's like we had a good day and you were like, and I don't know. Don't know why. why. And yeah. we speculated for a few there could have been a few different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um and so like and the thing is like, well, I guess just keep doing all of them. Yeah, I mean, I think there are ways to manage that, but that's like but that's you going in going like I'm going to need to attach coupon codes to every element of this or, you know, like sort it's, of like and it's, it's actually not- the sort of tracking and data analysis and experimentation that we can't really afford to do. Sure. Like at, at our level, like it's a, a thing where I have purchased both Facebook ads and Twitter ads for our campaign. Mm-hmm. And like after doing that, we did see spikes. I don't know if that's from Facebook or if that's from Twitter. Oh, but there are... Mm, so damn. Okay, but I knew a technique for that. That if you bitly links, they make unique things, and then you can put them into trackers. So you can see what stuff is coming from what... Right, but we don't know... Okay, so here, here's the other yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of our social goals, yeah. Kickstarter, uh, Twitter has a ton of great conversions. Uh, and what those bitly links won't tell you is who is backing. Right. So I don't know if uh, the Twitter uh, purchases that we got are just people who are coming off of our, uh, whatchamacallit, our social goals, uh, the things that we've been pushing that we didn't spend money on. That makes sense. Versus the things that we spent money <laughs> gotcha, on. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And there's no way to tell that. Yeah. And like the what what you would have to do to figure something like that out is just too big of an undertaking for us to experiment with. Uh, meaningfully like what what i might do our our friend jim mcclure is uh doing a kickstarter and he just launched his patreon and he just launched his patreon um but he's going to be doing a kickstarter coming up i think eh, towards the end of the month uh maybe maybe the maybe in june um either way he's going to be doing it I might just say, hey, for experimentation purposes, if I gave you like $100, would you do a Facebook ad on this day so we can see what it actually does for your campaign? Sure. That might not actually work. Like to do that sort of experimentation, we just simply don't have the budget. Um, And that the thing that I have been dealing with emotionally is going, oh, my God, what is working and what? What more can I do? And am I focusing my attention in the right areas? Yeah. No. So we've both been feeling the same tension spread in different ways. And it's a not knowing uh, what the meaningful actions to take during the campaign are that convert things beyond the things that we know roughly convert. And like I do know that there's only so much you can do. Of course. After after a certain point, like – you know, if you've if you've gone on, like if you've posted on social media, if you've tried to get on podcasts, if you've sent out a press release, like you did what you can do. Um, and you need to expect that, like the, at a certain point, the consumer is responsible for the success of the project or not. But it do, like it doesn't mean that I don't think that I could be doing more. Sure. So that's the sort of stress. Um, other than that. I guess um, earlier I was feeling a lot of like just passive tension about it because even though people are like, you're doing great. It's like, well, it doesn't. I mean, I I know that, but it doesn't feel safe at all. Now it's starting to feel safe. Yeah, I I will say, I mean, 
from day one because of the statistics that we got from Kickstarter. Like I knew intellectually that it was going to yeah. fund. Like I knew about the publicity campaign that I had planned beforehand and that we had laid out. And when you compare it to what we've actually done for publicity, I think our plan was actually much smaller than what we ended up doing. Sure, sure. Uh, but with that, like I, I felt like, you know, we are a project that is set up to succeed in that we have a pre-established audience. We know the market as well as we can know it. And like we have built into our project like a good good faith ways to protect that, that if somebody is experienced with Kickstarter, they would be able to see the project and go, okay, this project is going to be a thing that I can put my faith into. Right. Um so I've 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 known that like it's going to fund. But that hasn't actually made me feel better no, about it. No, but, <laughs> no, no, exactly. That's what I'm saying. That like intellectually, I I knew that there it would be really weird if we didn't fund. But I don't think until it was like eighty percent that that slacked off even a little. Now mm. it's slacked off a little. And once it fully funds, I think I'll be okay. I don't think I'll be good until we've shipped the things. Yeah. You know, but I mean, there there are all these landmarks that I've said to people, I will feel better when X has happened. I remember when we were like, (laughs) I will feel better when we have launched the campaign. And I will say in some ways, sure. Exactly. (laughs) And that's what I want to say to all the other Kickstarter creators out there. In some ways, you will feel better. So uh, I'd say there are a lot of people who have like... uh, laughed uh anytime that i said i've i'll feel better when i do this and they go ha, you're not prepared for the stress after the kickstarter or you're not prepared for that. the stress of the That's campaign not as useful that is not helpful and useful no, and i no. will say yes you will actually feel better yeah when i think you- you're just trading off stress and a lot of it's it's manageable in different ways you know this your whole life's extremely stressful all the time we're all used to this. Uh, Kat, you're describing your life. <laughs> oh, okay. My life is extremely stressful all the time. And I just trade off different stresses. And I learn to cope. And I go, oh, I guess this is my reality. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's just how things are going to be. Yeah. I, I think it is definitely a good thing and an okay thing to look forward to the different milestone points uh, along your campaign and tell yourself, I will feel better when this happens and take the time to do that. After we hit the launch button on the first day, I tried to avoid looking at the campaign as much as possible. And I took care of myself and I did stress relieving activities for me, which are reading comics, playing video games. I hid under a blanket fort in my room and read fan fiction. Literally, that is like, I couldn't like, handle the world for a few hours but that's okay let yourself do that and then later that night we synced up yeah and worked yeah (laughs) but like before that it was just like um let yourself have space to be whatever base state is for you in james's case playing games with people and having a nice time if you're a monster like me hiding in a hovel and reading and reading trash yeah yeah. Hey, it wasn't trash. It was mystery solving genfic. Okay. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I I think like take opportunities to reward yourself with self care, um, and that's not to say that like you should be withholding self self care. Uh, but 
what what I'm saying is make a special effort to take care of yourself at different milestones because it will make those milestones feel better to you. And manipulating your feeling is really important to feeling positive and productive about the process. Alex, uh, the Al- Alex Roberts, mm-hmm. wonderful person on our network, uh, said this thing on Twitter. I don't know how many days ago. What's time anymore? Where she was just like, I'm trying to celebrate my victories more. Yeah. That's just like, yeah, I never celebrate my victories. No, you don't. I don't. <laughs> and it's not healthy because it doesn't because it doesn't make um like l- living feel like a story in the way I think we need them to to process events in our life properly with memory. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Uh, yes, I, I, I'd say definitely. Um, I, you, you're looking at it from a larger perspective, and I am more narrowed in on it. I, I think not celebrating your victories almost treats them like they didn't happen or exist. Yeah. And like you said, actually, you look back on it and go, well, was that even a victory? Yeah. That's- and yes- future cat that fucking was a victory so shut up yeah i know that i need to process things in terms of story and if i give my like part of why i believe aside from all of i i have a very very vivid memory when it comes to the majority of my childhood and i think it has to do aside from like the developmental stuff because not everybody has this vivid of memory of their childhood is how much i put time into processing things like stories. It's one of those things that was like, this might not be good. This might not, this might be a dangerous or weird thing, child. But it's uh it's what's made me an imaginative and whatever d- adult. But um it those skills help you pro- help you with memory. Oh, it's that rich thing that we were learning about. The rich Howard thing? Aphantasia? Mm-hmm. Oh my god, this is our next segment. Okay. Yeah. Great. Shall we transition yeah. into it? I think so. And uh, hey, if we get 2,000 backers, you guys will get a lot more uh, into our strategy uh, for Kickstarter. Yeah. And I am also going to make a point, uh, and this is how we'll structure our panels when we talk about Kickstarter and panels, is to include self-care segments for it, because I think that is a very important, your emotional uh, approach to Kickstarter is as important as the business approach to Kickstarter. I think that's absolutely true. Also, uh, if your friends are Kickstarting, like, guys, just one time reblog their stuff. Yeah, man. It, like, and I'm not even going to say one time. It, there are However people, many times. Yeah. It's, there are some it's people just... who have done it, like, multiple times. No, no, and no of course. It's made me feel so, like, mm. Rich Howard is one of the most positive and supportive people in the community. And, like, he is just like a damn decent fellow. Yeah. Uh, and it's not just because like he's fans of us. Uh, anyone who he appreciates, he like 100% full force will uh, provide like his enthusiasm Justice. and support for it. Like I'm just like anything he enjoys. And like sometimes that just amounts to him mentioning, hey, this project is cool. And it's like one tweet, rich is more tends to the like a long Facebook post explaining why something is important to him and yeah, why he yeah, loves yeah. it. But like that sort of support is tremendously important. Not even just for getting the word out about the project, but supporting your friends emotionally as they go through that. That's process. kind of what I mean. Yeah, that's like I've become more aware now that like 
uh, I try to reblog my friends' stuff. You know, that, like, I love them and I love what they produce. And typically I'll, like, do it once, you know, or when I remember. And now I'm going to make a lot more of a concentrated effort just because I know how validating it felt. Not to have people out in the world continuing to push my product, but to have my friends putting a vote of confidence in me. Right. And telling people about me. It's nice to feel like I have friends. So uh, I bet you your friends are similar and that they have cool projects. So do that for them. They'll really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, So if you want to hear more about this, uh, help us get to a thousand backers. uh, (laughs) And also uh, look out for our uh, crowdfunding panels that we're going to be doing at uh, conventions like Gen Con and Metatopia. And hey, we will help you get through this because you helped us get through this. Thanks, guys. Okay, um, so uh, yeah, you wanted to make do this knowledge section. Yeah, right? I guess it's kind of it's not psionics. That's just the thing that does perfect memory. What what else would it be? Uh, mind in the brain philosophy, kind of, but not. It's it's biology. It's whatever. What do we call, want to call it? I don't know. Knowledge don't know mind flayers. <laughs> okay, I was recently shared on an article by Rich Howard. What's this called? My, called mind flaying. Mind flaying. <laughs> Welcome to mind flaying. Welcome to mind flaying. Uh, I was recently shared on an article. I think it was a Facebook article by uh, Rich Howard, who was like, "My mind's been like blown, and I need to talk to some people about it." And he cc'd uh, pranks and myself, and I don't remember who else. I just remembered seeing pranks there and being happy about it because I like how pranks things. <laughs> and um, it was like. Well, person, cat, who is currently an insomniac and not sleeping well, let's read this article that Rich put up this odd time of night. And uh, it was uh, from someone who uh, has aphantasia, which um, is kind of, uh, gosh, how to explain this? I didn't know that we were going to talk about this, so I apologize in advance for any for how unscientific and unorganized this thought process is, but I really think James is going to get a hoot out of of learning about this thing. So, you know, the example this guy used is like, think of a beach. Are you picturing a beach? Yeah. Yeah. He can't do that. Fascinating. Because he doesn't have any of what my philosophy classes told me was qualia. Um, Things that like are so things that are associated with senses um sense data right Mm -hmm. so um he doesn't have sense data stick with me he doesn't hold it okay so he can't project onto his mind's eye that's the um and this isn't limited to sight it extends to all the other senses and if you start thinking about it like i can also I hear lots of voices in my head. I can have complete conversations in many different yeah, we places. We all have conversations with voices in <laughs> Except our Except we don't, uh, as we're learning. Um, I can play most music, not like, think of the Star Wars opening theme. It plays. It's not perfect. It's a little weaker, but it's pretty good. And I'm jazzed now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, uh, I also have that with like smells and feel feelings uh lots of physical sensations and i've been like spending a bunch of time working like recently analyzing this in myself and how strong the mental projection of these feelings are right um so he doesn't hold any of that so instead 
when he thinks of a beach, he thinks of like the concept of a beach. It's like um like a like a lookup table in coding. So um he basically takes himself back through a list of concepts and attaches them. And he can like hold like a beach in blue, but he doesn't see these things o- overlapped. Mm-hmm. And he had no idea this was a thing. Right. Because he thought nobody else saw things on the inside of your head because if you didn't why would you you? think that other people did and i always thought that it was like a metaphor when people were saying these things it's fascinating yeah and i forget what it was exactly that had him be like oh no he read an article where someone uh a 80 year old man or some i believe an old an elderly man some old guy an elderly man went through some medical procedure and lost his ability to to see to, he, and lost his mind's eye. Right. Um, and he was like, what, what do you mean lost? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and um, then worked it through and then tested it over all of his contacts who were getting texts like, picture a beach, tell me about it. <laughs> you know, him going through the process of being like, no, I don't believe you. <laughs> you know, that uh, I don't believe that you see this. This doesn't seem real. What is happening? And uh, it seems like it's not super uncommon. Um, wow. Yeah. Um in fact within our friend group I'm not going to like but there but we we have we have access to somebody like this. JPC. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh um and what's what's really interesting to me is the assumptions that I'd made about imagination and the importance of it. Mm. Because the thing that this prevents people from is going on internal imaginative adventures. They can think through stories, but like this guy, the cool, like there's so many cool things about this article. He's a writer. His profession is wow. writing. Like fiction? Uh, TV, yeah. And, but, uh, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Ha. But he said, he said it was really cool to, to see him talk about writing, mm-hmm. um, especially fiction. It's always been very hard for him. It's also really hard for everyone else who writes fiction. But it, he finally like got, Oh, when other people say writing is hard, imagining is easy and writing is the difficult part. Whereas for him, the writing is very easy and what's very, very hard is to come up with the the, the plot and all of the imaginative structure. Mm-hmm. That That is just like pooling teeth because it, he has to think through all of these concepts and continue to link them. It's like it's like having to constantly reference a lookup table instead of just hold what this guy looks like and like descriptions of like just not understanding why in fiction people spend so much time describing what an assassin looks like. Right. Um. Like he's like, okay, it's an assassin, whereas like we're like, no, he's the dreamiest, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um. Because that's a very different experience for us. And uh, imagination's always been very important to me because I'm good at it. And, mm-hmm. like, I've been testing it. I'm hecka good at it. I, I um, you know that, like... I run you through time trials all the time. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, I have perfect color vision, and I smell very acutely. I, I have a pretty keen sense of smell. Um, I have high pain tolerance, but I can like feel with a lot of sensitivity, mm-hmm. uh, and that transfers to my imagination sphere. And I spend a lot of time there. I'm a classic INTP, head in the clouds dreamer. If it weren't for James, I probably wouldn't be doing a lot creatively in my life 
because I wouldn't feel the need to because I'm happy to sit there and think about things all day. And uh, I have a pretty decent memory about things that are linked to stories that I can hold. Um, things that didn't happen, like fiction, and a lot of things that did happen in my life, especially if I take the time to think of them in the framework of a story. And like the thing that's a common link between people like this is that they don't have that access to memory, that it's just like not there for them because they can't hold like signs, you know, they can't, wow. directions are a nightmare, you know, that it's just stuff that we would laugh off as someone being bad at directions where it's like, no, it's part of their core ability to conceptualize. That's a very, very, very different ways of processing thought. Uh, and the other thing about imagination that I had assumed was important was like it as a tool for our ability to empathize with one another. Mm. Uh, that's been shaken. You know, that's like I thought that the value of these games was their ability to make people think through what it was to be one another and live in these stories and uh, widen our sphere of like capacity to imagine and what I thought was empathizing. But I'm not sure that that's true anymore. Well, not true for everyone. No, totally. It's just um, to, uh, I'm not saying that what we're doing doesn't have value, but it's making me rethink how what is core empathy. And if we were to like my 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 goal is to mm -hmm. make the thing that is tag that is that simple that is that basic, but isn't a war game and will build towards a better future. And I don't think that tag can be something that exists in the purely imaginative sphere that I've been used to thinking of this. So I look forward to learning a lot more about this and uh, the sorts of empathy that exist in, in people who have aphantasia because like studies suggest they're better at training dogs because, um, <laughs> because like, I project a story onto my dog that doesn't need to be there and doesn't suit the dog's best interests. That's a lot easier to access as all you're doing is a lookup table to get to what are the correct things to handle this situation. Right. Um, so there's just a lot of things that I'm like, oh, man, this discovery changes a lot of specifically the work you and I are doing. That's that's interesting. That, that That's fascinating. Uh, I remember Rich linking us to this article and me not having time to read it. Uh -huh. um, well, I only got to read it because I have insomnia. Uh. Everyone consider not ever sleeping and living in a hellhole. All right. Well, I think that brings us to the last segment of the show, which is a random encounter. Whew, let's do it. So using a random encounter, <laughs> cat, your face. <laughs> Someone just said, I think this might be my preferred way to consume campaign, Twitter and fanfic. And <laughs> I'm trying to decide if I love or hate that. <laughs> <laughs> I put a lot of work into it. And people can put a lot of work into Twitter and fanfic. That's fine. And I'm all for everyone getting in on group storytelling. I just also would like people to like hip it. I'm amazed that we haven't set up Twitters for the characters yet. I'm not because I don't think eh, we could. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be just fine and just fun. On to our random encounter. So this week, uh -huh. uh, we are cut off from our books. 
we normally have vast libraries of books. And I think when we go back to things uh, and do another first watch at the end of this month, yep. uh, we're going to be using the Ryutama book again. Yep. However, because we're cut off from that, I had to use a random encounter generator online and it provided us with Dryder. I was worried it was going to provide us with Dryder. Hey, man. That's what it is. Are you worried about Dryder? Do you not want to do Dryder? I don't like Dryders, but that can be part of this, you know? Yeah. Let's uh, get into it. I think it. that, hey, it's our job to make them good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Let's do it. Uh, the party has moved on from our ghost hotel, our cool, fun ghost hotel. And we went down into the Underdark. And we went to the Underdark. Yeah. Um, I'm all for Underdark adventures. I love the Underdark. Yeah. Kat, you are on record as being a fan of the Underdark. Have we said that? I feel like I feel I was like, I was like I'm yes, we have. I feel like with somebody just meeting you or seeing you they should know <laughs> oh, that you're I on hate board. That. I hope that's not, not true. true. <laughs> I call it Drow of the Underdrow, and I hope people like get from that that I love it like a little tongue in cheek, you know? A lot of tongue in cheek, but that doesn't hey, just Loving something tongue-in-cheek doesn't mean you don't love it. I do love it. I just feel it's also the worst. Um, and I hope that looking at me, people aren't like, yeah, that person made drums. <laughs> do we have, we have to explain drums now? They're drow and gnomes. They're drow crossbred. With gnomes. With gnomes. Over a long period of time. With the help of the Book of Erotic Fantasy. Yes. End of story. I feel like that's not the end of story and people listening to it, we don't need to tell that story right now. <laughs> I just, I just want to know. Bratty people, and fine. People who listened and went, wait a minute, there's there's so many follow-up questions that I have. I'm on your side and we will answer those questions at a later date. <laughs> don't worry, that mystery will be solved. Okay. Uh, but we went to the Underdark. Uh, yeah. And our random encounter is going to be Driders. Okay, this is Driders or Drider? Uh, the random encounter generator said multiple Driders, oh, but it's going to be one Drider okay. that we're talking about now. So, first off, let's talk to the audience who maybe isn't just big D&D nerds uh, about what the Underdark is? Wh well, what a Drider is. Oh. I'm going to talk about the Underdark first. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> The Underdark is basically uh, subterranean terrain. So lots of tunnels, um, typically lit by bioluminescent fungi. Typically. Typically. Um, Typical. And uh, with lots of like pools with aberrations in them, uh, sentient mushrooms running around, uh, dwarves of some sort. Dwergar. Typically. If we're doing D&D. &D. And then uh, dark elves of some sort. So that's like your basic. Drow. Yes. And then a bunch of other stuff. But let's uh, just lots and lots of layers underground of stuff going on. Not like sewers. Way more like caves. Yeah. And it's crystals. A, it's like. It's a dark gothic look at the hollow earth. And yeah. like Hollow Earth things, like and by gothic, we I mean we mean gothic, but we mean gothic like horror, like pastel goth too, though. Like it's very, it's very, it's all about I mean, bioluminescence sure, and crystals. Sure. The, the, the aesthetic lighting, of it is all the lighting is like colorful, but like the actual color, color like most of the creatures are black and silver and like purple. That's there. There's I don't know. The, part of this is definitely the aesthetic to the Underdark. Mm -hmm. I think that's like 
the Underdark as D&D envisions the Underdark is something that is about a certain type of like adventure that feels like it could have been boarded in Steven Universe. Well, I mean, also, but the Underdark is really SNM driven too. Like mm. a lot of the aesthetics. Super, are... super duper. I just yeah. think that SNM and Steven Universe are a lot closer than maybe you think. <laughs> I I think you are correct in that. <laughs> and I feel, well, maybe there are some bondage aspects to different no. I'm just Seems? saying that, like the that pastel goth and all of that stuff is very. It it just seems linked to me. It, okay, for it's me, a certain type of personality that were, I would expect people looking at me to dials, be like. Gotcha. If these were dials, pastels would be like a little bit, but and neon S and M would be cranked the frig up. Okay, but that's only because of drow. But it's not just because of Drow. It's because of Dwergar too. Dwergar are the dark reflection of dwarves that are really slavey. In D and D, there there's also like Aboleths and Mind Flayers are some of the creatures that inhabit the and Underdark. And you think they have anything to do with S and M? They have a lot to do with domination and control. Uh, mind Flayers control people's brains. Yeah, but that's a lot different than the S and M imagery surrounding I would not Drow. Say a lot different, man. This is it, interesting. It's people issuing mental commands and. People following them. Like, it's a playing with a lot of that space. And also, have you looked at the clothing worn by Mind Flayers? It's like belty, belty leather nonsense. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Um, I I can buy it. Yeah. I I think there's there's a lot of that. The Underdark is uh, intentionally trying to be seedier uh, than the adventures that happen in the above world. Who even knows why? You know, it's interesting that that's the aesthetic that's developed because it's not like we don't investigate dungeons. It's just dungeons in D&D are tonally very different different. than the Underdark. Yeah, that's like I feel like dungeons are like brown and red and kind of warm with like maybe stalactites and the Underdark is like predominantly black and purple. Well, I think this is a thing that we need Jim and Alex to look into. We should look up who developed the Underdark as concept. Yeah, well, that's that's kind of why I was a little wary of Dryder, because honestly, I don't feel like I have enough of the history. So we won't touch on that this episode, but I hope we return to talk about this at some point or put it out yeah, to other people I, on the network. I think for like a monster mastery thing, like random encounter is different. Yes. And it is, it is directly how people can use this in campaigns. So we are camped out near a bunch of... Before we get there. Okay. I think the thing that is important for people to know about Driders is what a Drider is. is. Okay. So Driders, visually, are sort of like a spider centaur. Yes. It's the upper half of a human-like creature. Most generally, that is a drow, which is a dark elf. And in D&D, that means someone with pitch black skin and pointy ears and silver hair. And they're probably wearing some form of sexy clothing. Uh, yes. And then uh, the bottom half of a giant spider. And, and uh, it's like the spider's body. Like their, their torso is where the spider's face would be. Right. D&D gives additional lore to this that I've always found very interesting as a thing that they decided uh that uh the the drow god lolf looks like a drider and she um both curses and rewards people by making them driders which i love that is my favorite it's fascinating. aspect it's of pretty driders. Sith. it's like 
what is going on here? Because uh, it's implied typically, like, in almost every story that it's being a drider, it's mostly a temporary state. That Lolf will probably take you out of it if you pass her trial, whatever this trial is. And I think it's an important thing to point out that uh, Lolf is very highly regarded and worshipped by the drow community. Mm -hmm. But driders are ostracized and shunned. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even though they are technically more powerful than uh, the drow are usually in D&D things that people that really value strength and do it in the like we wear less clothing to indicate how strong we are yes, way. Yes, because if you're that strong you don't need armor. <clears throat> yep. Uh, and uh, driders are really difficult to fight. They're strong scary monsters. And they, a lot of them have casting and like they've got all the a lot of the abilities that you would expect a spider to have. Just take a scary uh, warrior mage elf and who's probably been around a few hundred and, years. And, and tack Shelov onto their butt. Yep. And then, <laughs> hey, you got a stew going. Um, <laughs> or in our case, a real problem. <laughs> a real, real problem. Uh, and I, I just think like it's such a fascinating cultural like point for people to not like Driders because... That is somebody literally being granted the image of their god. Yeah. And that that is something that, like, even though it is both a reward and a punishment, like, no matter what, they are shunned and ostracized, uh, which is stupid and fascinating. Like, drow culture is stupid in some of the most interesting ways. Yeah, and I hate most of them. Oh, it's it's garbage. It's garbage. And, like, I, I think this is one of those few examples out of the drow story that, like, this is some hot trash. This is some hot, no, sexy no. trash. Well, I but- think that there's a lot of... Yes, that's the thing about drow. Dark elves have been around a very long time. <laughs> because typically, in folklore, you get into a thing where you're like, we're going to have fairies that are kind of okay, fairies that are kind of not okay for a variety of reasons. And those things are called something different. And over time, it has abstracted more or less to darker light versions of these things, whatever that means. Red coats, green coats, if we're going to be like that about it, or uh, or like where you where you live um, underground versus above ground. Lots of things do this across space and time. Um, and uh, for some reason, D&D decided to make that like visually put high elves up in the mountains and give them pallid white skin and blonde hair and drow underground with pitch black skin. (laughs) For whatever reason. Yep. I can't think of a famous fantasy story that was foundational for the thematics of D&D that did that same thing. Uh, The Lord of the Rings. With skin color? Uh, I mean, orcs versus elves. Yeah. But but drow aren't that. Drow aren't that, but they're playing with the same, like, that's the same toolbox as far as I'm concerned, especially, like, in Moria. Yeah, it's just that, like, also, there there are racial notes in Lord of the Rings. Right, and, right. Like, that are more positive than, mm-hmm. that's, um, hobbits uh, were given a number of different colors of skin and then it was said that they interbred over over centuries and like it's actually super weird to me that 
we either don't see lots of hobbits of different skin color or kind of, you know, amalgamated into brown skin. Right. Um, because that's what the authorial notes on it are. And we cast it white and English, which is just frustrating. But that's not what the text suggested. Right. Right. Well, it's it's almost like Hollywood only cares about certain things. Yes. Um, and they're short and they got hairy feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like... Can a, nail that. A bunch of stuff got tacked onto Drow that I hate. We're having a random encounter. Now Now that you have the backstory on Drow and some of the cultural notes in universe about Drow, or at least the universe that we're playing with, let's talk about this random encounter. Okay. So uh, we've set up by a bunch of really cute, chubby, glowy mushrooms. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like the ones that are are good and don't scream. They're not going to scream. They're not going to poison us in the middle of the night. They're not going to be alive beyond the way that fungi are normally alive. Although these fungi, as a defense mechanism, have grown to look like they are that other type of fungi. Yep, but... As you have explained to us. Yeah. Or tried to start explaining to I us... I really like poison. Ten different times while we were setting up the camp. And... These are the non-poisonous. And now I'm sort. stuck in that conversation. I have also, at this point, I think it's very important for us to note that I have been awake for like approaching 36 hours. <laughs> and you, what are you at? You had maybe two hours of sleep last I night. Had two hours of sleep last it's night. really irresponsible of Jim and Meg and Alex to have let us take up watch. Yeah. Th- you know what? That that makes me think that they're injured. They are either injured or are or just all of us we are <laughs> all suffering fatigue because something attacked us in the middle of last night and we had to run away and we didn't get to sleep. So let's talk about designing the encounter from the GM's perspective. Yeah. Uh one thing uh that I like about Driders is that they are also spiders. They're spiders. Which gives you an excuse to play with the environment. Yep. There are spider webs that we have not yet seen or we have the ability to uh, spot check for. Oh, here's what I want them to be. I want them to be all above us mm-hmm. and our eyes to not have adjusted to the lighting yet to be able to see it glowing in the stuff. Cool. Yeah. That's that's perfect and great. We probably don't have very good spot checks. No, uh, definitely we don't. Nope. And like I think, you know, they they are like if we if you look at spiders, uh ambush predator is like a pretty good thing like because pcs in DD are probably not going to walk into a trap uh so ha- like i mean they can there are traps but like the trap setup for DD is boring like we're, we're not flies we don't fly into spider webs unexpectedly right we do get in dangerous situations that we're not quite prepared for so ambush predator is how i would run this rider. It's going to try and attack people by separating them. And- so the reason, and the reason it's doing this is because it needs to eat. It's ostracized from its society, and it doesn't get a lot of the type of protein that it needs. So it is like that's really what I can think of. Yeah, that um, so probably the attack is taking one of us with a thing that grabs us up into this to the web so that we're not an issue while it's dealing with the other one. Exactly. Um, and it might be going after our sleeping comrades first because they're easier targets. They're so. probably in a tent. They're probably in a tent, which we might not be looking at. Yeah, but driders are large-sized. They are large-sized, but it's stealthy. It's got control of the environment. 
we might have lit a fire. Like there are any number sure, of sure, sure. things that PCs could do wrong that might make it more. Like okay. again, if so you I'm look like, at okay, and the coolest thing about Hamilton oh my is God. And- who is Hamilton <laughs> in the D and D universe? Cat. Well, He's- it's the same. It's the exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> the same thing happened. Not in America, in a different place, but definitely just America. Okay. Well, oh, so you mean my Nucelia, my setting? <laughs> yes, and you're really about it, and everybody else thinks it's a little weird how nationalistic you are. Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, it's not weird if you think about how great. Shut up. Okay. There, there is an attack now. Mm-hmm. As PCs, how do we handle this random encounter? Uh, what is the best strategic way to deal with a drider? Being a drider doesn't inhibit your intelligence. It does not. No. They are a person. They probably haven't been treated like a person in a while, but they're a person. So like all things in which James and I encounter uh, something that we're supposed to fight, instead, we try to talk to it. Probably doesn't work. In what way does it not work? It just doesn't. <laughs> We don't speak the same language. Oh, that's... We don't? And you didn't prepare... No! Yeah. <laughs> no! Okay, so it just doesn't work. So we don't have the ability to communicate with language, and they're ignoring all of our body stuff. Yeah. And so so then we... Hey, this is a, be- this is a creature with of human-like intelligence that has made the conscious decision to attack and eat these people. <sighs> so it's it's committed to its lifestyle. Okay. So it's judgmental of you to try and talk it out of it. I know, but I'm so interested in them. So here's the problem. So Witch Cat is so interested in them. So this is what she does. All of her stuff is about trying to contain the person until tomorrow when she'll be able to sp- to make a, th- a spell to be able to talk to them. And then she's going to be like, hey, do you know if your god's punishing you or rewarding you for something? What do we think? can turn this thing around so paladin james yeah. knows that even when this thing wasn't a driver it was probably lawful was evil to chaotic no evil. chaotic evil <laughs> yeah that's right it was chaotic evil line <laughs> so while witch cat is working on that i am looking at the environment I'm chaotic neutral again uh because of the you you are not you are neutral good <laughs> i'm chaotic neutral yeah, yeah nice try uh so because this is a creature that can specifically control its environment, even non-caster versions of it, their natural advantage, because they're spiders, yeah. is the ability to control the environment to its advantage. So figuring out what that is is probably your first step. Uh, if your DM's not the type of person to play that way, like, you know, that's whatever. But if you're designing this counter with full faith, you want to take a lay of the land and see how you can set traps for it. Oh, cool. So spider webs are typically very sticky even for the spiders. Yes. And some spiders, like we're taught in school that spiders know which thing to step on. And that's not true. They sort of remember it most of the time. Yeah. And a lot of the time they have to sort of feel it out with their legs to see if it's a sticky part. So getting like... Doing information gathering in that way might work towards your advantage. If I were a GM, I would reward a player who tried to work around that trap. Yeah. So if somebody just like shoved the spider up into the web, it probably would get the spider stuck. 
Yeah. And um, containing it, like, they are very mobile, they're very large, and they're very strong. So binding it to a single area is going to be a huge advantage. Which was my thing in the first place, because I personally don't enjoy killing humanoids. Um, so I'd rather contain this threat and move on than, like, if if we're not helping them. Okay. I would like to not kill them. So now this Drider is specifically an evil Drider. Yep. That is so evil, it was punished by Loth for being evil. I don't know that yet. And is collecting people to perform a horrible ceremony where it will bind them all into a single being of melded flesh. This is terrible. I hate alignments. Hey, man. This thing is bad. This thing is bad because this is a random encounter and not the main enemy. One of the worst things I've ever seen happen was have like people have people let werebears bite them to make them get aligned. It's not okay. It's not okay. Hey man, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. um so yeah, like I think no matter what in this, we're going to have to fight this thing. Uh, like just sticking it is probably, it's probably going to try and cut its binds during the night and kill us. So we need to, we need to beat it before we can, you know, we, we can handle this nonviolently in that we don't kill it, but we need to beat it first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to contain it and immobilize it. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. So like, Containing it, all, all, like obviously, you want to use range. So we talked about the environment. Yeah, yeah, that's um there and in the underdark, there are likely lots of different things. Um, as we mentioned, uh, poisonous fungus and other types of fungus play a huge role in in the underdark. Yeah. Oftentimes, um, so and not just because they're from the underdark doesn't mean they know everything about it. And if your character specifically has knowledge of those things. You should absolutely be rewarded for using that to your advantage. If there's a pool of liquid around, check them in that pool. Definitely something's in there. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. There you go. Um, also, uh, rife with long pits for things to fall down. Cool. Now that we've talked a little bit about the physical the, tactics About the environment, it, yeah. We can now go into the mental tactics and say, okay, cutting back to earlier. Yeah. Let's say talking to it works. Sure. Uh, how do you go about having this conversation? Because even if this is whether this is someone who is being rewarded or being punished, this is still a being that made the decision to attack us first. So knowing what we know about drow and driders and how driders typically happen, what is Catwitch's approach to this? Ugh, God. Catwitch on very little sleep. <sighs> She's going to mess up. She's going to mess up so bad. Um, okay, so the gist for me is, please don't kill us for food, we have food. We'll start there, you know, that like, are you trying to take something from us? Just let us give that to you so that it's a a successful mugging instead of a violent transaction. Right. Um, and then, but once, hopefully... They have accepted the food or, like, chilled for two seconds. Uh, It's a a conversation that's like, hi, as I understand it, you have probably been ostracized from your people. Is this recent? Right. I know that you are supposed to not like outsiders, but considering you yourself are currently an outsider, 
would you consider talking to us about this experience? That's the basic thought. I feel like it would probably be very difficult to get because there are a lot of a lot of cultural things on a drow being like, nope. <laughs> that, that it's just like, I'm not supposed to trust outsiders if Lolth's testing me in this way. You know, that's a, um, the, the heart of the thing is like, hey, what, what, how is Lolth testing you? You know, it's, right. it's getting to that, to that point in the conversation. It's not trying to change their stuff. It's just like, hey, can we meaningfully help you throughout this process? Because, and maybe, learn a bit about why our culture shouldn't be fighting right along the way yeah that, cool that's what cat witch is about well i think that's a great way for the party dealing with it so now we come to <clears throat> how do we make this monster better okay um what do you got uh so i have actually two different thoughts on this yeah first to me is visually how do we make it different and distinct uh driders already look really cool they do they look super cool uh but they are also one of the most iconic things in D. Uh-huh. like they are one of the few monsters that wizards of the coast i believe has full rights to and you can't find outside of the system sure that makes sense like uh beholders and whatnot so what I would do visually, if you're you're just looking for a more horrific tone and you want this uh, monster to be scarier, is keep the shape, but instead of having a full-on spider lower body, make that more humanoid. Oh, that's creepy. So yeah, give like it, it a big bloaty creep body uh, with legs and feet jutting out of it instead. I get that like legally this is all wrapped up in D, but uh i'm interested in what we do if it if it wasn't you know if we're just with the monster because like something that pretty much applies to all under underground creatures for me mm-hmm. is like we have a lot of cool examples in on earth of animals that live underground or in the depths of the sea where sun isn't a, a, a common part of their life and, and like typically um Creatures like mo- like like driders have sun sensitivity. You know that they get blinded really fast right. because they never encounter the sun, um, and that logically looks a lot different than a black skinned, white haired creature. Right. Um, that's like what 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 purpose does the the hair serve? If it's for warmth, it should probably be fur. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if there's if it's like human stuff. What, why isn't it bald by this point um, how necessary are its eyes um, uh, just like any all of the animals on earth that just have spots where their eyes used to be because they don't need eyes anymore right fascinating um, most things developing in those spaces unless they're underwater uh, have pa- pallid skin that have like gray to white skin that's kind of like clammy looking right uh, all of these things, very scary and cool. Uh, I yes. think that there's a lot of visual interest in there that um, gives you potentially more to work with in your environment as well. Um, that's like part of what there are many things that bug me with Drow. One is that I don't understand why their culture came to be this way. Um, it's like really wrapped up in the wants of its gods and, um, uh, a culture of like slavery and female domination and pain. And, uh, I don't, I don't know why. 
you know, that's like, but there are lots of reasons for cultures to develop differently. And, uh, perhaps for like it for for these power structures to crop up that could do with the biology of them and the realities of living underground i mean it could also and i'm just throwing this out there it is a culture very dominated by its god because its god wants things to be that way and actually has the power to make that happen um yeah that's i mean that's true but even so they're why make the god look like that? You can push it in any which direction. You know, like... The- well, I, I, I'm, I'm just saying, like, what what I like to do with D&D things is accept the facts as they are and, like, come up with um, more in-depth explanations for those uh, instead of go, this is preposterous because it is pre- it's blatantly preposterous. Like, yeah. so. <laughs> but, like, but I don't see why removing the unnecessary eyes makes it preposterous uh, no I'm, I'm not saying that that's preposterous i'm saying with the material that we're presented with is preposterous like a society yes. built around pain and nonsense sure, is preposterous. Sure, sure. but i'm saying like so if we're justifying that i think that like if we're going okay mm-hmm. this is that and i don't want it to just yeah, be I'm the argu- god i'm not arguing against the- okay never mind yeah i was just looking at ways that we could do that right um so uh in things where, like, one sex dominates the other, there tends to be a size difference that isn't currently very prevalent in drow. Right, and certainly not represented in driders. Yes, um, who are just scaled up. They're a large size because uh, they are, because a centaur would be because a horse is. Right. That's really... Yeah, because they're centaurs. They're just they're centaurs. centaurs. They're, yeah. Um, <clears throat> let's see. What else? Uh, so, like, going back, because spiders are the thing that this is drawing on visually yes. for its horror elements, uh, there's a lot more to spiders than what driders are doing. Absolutely. They're cutting out a lot of really fascinating variation in spiders and the way they behave and what they do. Uh, there are so many spiders that have fantastic visual elements to them. Uh, like if you have a drow that's like sort of a medium big bad for your campaign, uh, the funnel spider is one of the coolest visual representations of spiders. It changes the game like dramatically just on the dynamics of your PCs going to that creature and dealing with that creature. Uh, and like, you know, there are, spiders that use their webs as parachutes to fly about uh lots of spiders who hide under things and ambush that way instead of ever bothering themselves with uh i i would love really really giant driders that did that yeah and there are so many burrowings like tarantulas tarantulas like yeah just like come out just come out (laughs) just grab grab you and, and, and pull you in um, Driders, uh, something that we didn't touch on that we should have during our fight. Uh, we might have been poisoned at some point during mm-hmm. that fight because they typically have some sort of poison. Right. Uh, which puts you to sleep, I believe. Yes. Yeah. So that's scary. Don't let that happen. We were sleepy as it was. Yeah, dr- and drow are a big poison people, too. So having a poison master, Drider, is great. Yeah. You're just playing with a bunch of different poisons, like inhalation-based poisons, contact poisons, weapon poisons, with eight different legs. And, and- now it's very obvious why I love the Underdark. Yes. <laughs> um, but back to that. Okay, so other things that are really cool. They're products of the Underdark. Certain things about the Underdark don't really make sense. Um, 
but yes, as we've as we've addressed. Well, just the lack of sun and the way that life grows. Mm-hmm. Fungus wouldn't work like that. And this bioluminescent fungus, there's got to be something fueling all of this. Something that... Um, well, fungus sort of does work like some, that underground. Well, no, no, no. It can. But like, mm-hmm. this is how the underdark functions. Right. So I need to ask... Why? And there's also like some of these crystals are like semi sentient crystals, power crystals. We're we're, we're go- growing dangerously close to fixing the underdark. No, I'm not talking about. I I don't want to talk about right. that. I don't want to talk about the problems of the underdark. I want to talk about interesting things that we can do with dryers. Okay, stick with me. Okay, hanging with you. Something that does spiders kind of interesting, despite being dumb, is Star Wars and energy spiders. Yeah. Okay, so Kessel has these has these kessel which is like a bit it's whatever a network of tunnels with no light sources have these spiders that uh are giant shalob type things that absorb energy so you can't so if you're fighting them in D, you can't use blasters very scary um because that thing that we use for everything now doesn't work and right. there's a giant spider that is attracted to light and energy sources because that's what they eat and then uh th- so they like eat beings of pure energy um and then it transforms in their body uh and all of their excrement spit webs everything has a uh, glitter stem like passing through their system well the glitter stem is what is refined out of there. yes it's refined out of it but uh, a type of spice that's like a drug in star wars is made from this stuff so people mine it and it's like that's why we know and it's a problem whatever but uh having your drider be wrapped up in the econo- like the the ecosystem it's very interesting to me, especially mm. when clearly the Underdark has something real intense happening with energy. Right. All of this bioluminescence, all of these weird energy crystals, the, the lack of sun and the way that life is abundant. Something's happening down here. And if they have some god just playing with all of it, I bet driders are a part of it. Yeah. So you can energy you can energy spider up your driders in whatever way works for your campaign for me that would be fun so i think we've moved on from the aesthetic pieces and now i want to get into my my big pitch mm-hmm. for fixing driders mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as i've said before the most compelling aspect that i find of driders is that it is both a punishment and a reward yeah um and one of the interesting things to me about that is if being a drider is a trial uh why is the form of the drider like the impetus for the trial i don't think the goal of a drider in the way that they're actually used like a lot of the time driders are there to pose threats to the party they're there to kill people yeah. um or cause some harm or wreck societies in different ways but having a drider body makes that easier. So that's not a trial. I think that is a common behavioral pattern that it's easy to fall into when you're ostracized from society. Sure. But that can't be what the goal of it is. Maybe. I mean, I... It does. It doesn't make sense. If you're going to try somebody, sure, why sure, do sure. you? Why do you just give them what they were already doing? I think that it has to be a challenge. So, what does looking like a drider and being a drider prevent you from doing? And that's interacting with people. 
So I think the real goal of like a Dryder has to be some sort of self-realization or realization of yourself within society. So you're just proposing giving it a goal. I think that's a great goal. I, I, I am like I am proposing giving it a goal. And my goal specifically yeah, that's a good goal. is intimacy and human interaction. Sure, sure, and sure. the reason that your party is being kidnapped and like like wrecked on Oh, is, is it trying? To talk. Yeah. It's that's a fun one. It grabs people, wraps them up, and tries to talk to them Aww. to figure stuff out. I love her, and I I like this as a an encounter. This is a purely role playing based encounter, and like obviously not every party is going to be into this, but like having a real intimate contact with a monster is going to be allow you as a GM to draw different things out of your party directly instead of tiptoeing around themes and hoping people bring things up in the mix you can actually bring uh important character things to the forefront by directly challenging them on it in a situation where they're otherwise immobilized yeah and uh if you're doing this man crank up the creepy factor because this god should be putting this this poor creature through whatever the fullest extent of this trial is. Right, exactly. And you know, this is this is the the creature has already gone through the stages that we like normally associate with drow. Yeah. They've already tried killing people. Yeah. They've already like gotten comfortable with being a drow so they're no longer starving. They probably have lots of kids. It's a very it's a fascinating oh, monster. Yeah. It's and like you you can play with all of that and like the, the, just like with a creature that doesn't have intimacy and doesn't really have peers that it keeps, uh, there's a lot of different creepy things that you can do with that person. Like, you know, when people are put alone for a while, they just don't behave in expected ways that like we come to expect because we interact with people on a day to day basis and we have different taboos. Uh, so really feel like you can play with that. Um, ben Gunnett. So yeah, that, that, that's that's my make it a pure role playing or role playing first encounter. Like if it is a fight, I think it would even be okay to once you've laid that uh, foundation of role play, make the actual fight itself like kind of short and sad. Well, if there's... somebody decides to kill it, let them let them kill the drider, and then they deal with the fact that it didn't really want to fight. Mm-hmm. They could do that. There's also always the, uh, I tire of this and my children are hungry. You know? That's yeah. It. There are plenty of interesting things to do with that fight that aren't directly just the drider. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything. There are lots of different goals that you could play with. Um, thinking of what, what a god's goal in this could be if it has to do with like this energy spider thing it could be dealing with a problem an ecological problem right that's just like escaping people's knowledge because of this thing that's a prevalent part of their society only reason that people become driders at all is the god is trying to maintain the environment yeah and like there's no real reason why one person is selected to be a drider or another it's just the underdark's got to be the underdark so we need somebody pooping out energy dust but we can figure out why you know that's the these are all problems that have a potential solution in time uh but they but they involve a deeper exploration and a treatment of the monster as something that wasn't always a monster because that's the most interesting thing about a drider Mm -hmm. that they used to be a person 
and they're now something that other people don't consider a person, even if you do. Right. So I think that's where we are. Yeah. Uh, the only other thing that I think we need to touch on as far as Driders is Darth Maul was briefly a Drider. He was a Drider. <laughs> yeah. I think, and if we, like... That was a gift and a curse. And, yeah, and, like, bestowed upon him by the dark side of the Force, Well, too. that's why, when, as soon as you said that, I was like, well, that's really Sith of of the because like as Lolf as she's written is way more Sith and way less this this is very us and very Miyazaki and very Avatar the Last Airbender um but uh uh Lolf is somebody who is about pain and torment and personal strength right and would reward somebody for good behavior with something that challenges them more even more with a chance to overcome it right um so, you know, if you're going to do Lolth, do it Sith, and there's a lot cool there. <laughs> yes. I, I just like the way that was phrased because we're super tired. <laughs> yeah, guys, I'm sorry on this one. Uh, we are very, very, very tired. But I think, I think we touched on the things that I want to touch on. And I, I, I like how we dealt with this monster. So now, Kat, the question is, scale of 1 to 10. How do you rate well, a Drider? Interesting. I find Driders deeply, deeply interesting as a monster. Like I do too, um, but I only find them deeply interesting with the write-up that came from Drow of the Underdrow. Oh, I think you're basic right. I didn't monster know that manual, stuff before that. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think that stuff existed before Drow of the Underdrow. Good point. Uh, so I, I think, as written, I Driders are a three. When you have that extra flavor, uh, especially like, is it a gift? Is it a curse? What is a drider? Um, that that bumps it up to like five territory. And if you go the extra mile, like you can you can go even higher. Yeah, no, I, I think I'm in the same. Anything that is a centaur knockoff without much else to it is a, a two. You know, it's like a two or a three. There's just not a lot there. It's just a, it's just a centaur. I I disagree only on the grounds of. We could go further. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> sure. But um, as soon as you start putting sociopolitical and religious elements onto it, it gets more interesting, but it isn't on its own quite there yet. So what's your number? I don't know. Five, six. Five or six. Okay. Well, that's, that's it for First Watch. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you. We're going to get some rest. <laughs>